Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode number 90. guys doing welcome welcome good to see you have a seat kick back we're on the screened in patio we're six feet apart we're not wearing masks anymore we both maybe have our first shot at this point on day 406 of my quarantine yeah i had some guests two weeks ago right after i did the podcast They stayed over, Nick and Megan, they live in Wilmington. They came and stayed in our driveway in their camper again. They did this uh, back late last year. Uh, Everybody has had at least one shot now. They were double vaccinated. My wife got Johnson & Johnson. I've only had one, Moderna. And uh, I'll get my second shot on Tuesday. That's a whole thing. They moved it. And uh, they moved it further away and at an ungodly early hour in the morning. But, you know, what choice do I have? I'll go get it. But yeah, it was uh, it was nice. The last time they came back in like I think it was October, September last year. It was cold, but still, I'm gonna go with September, October, maybe even November actually. Yeah, but uh, it was cold, but we could hang out outside with a space heater. We have these like outdoor infrared heater things. But we were downstairs because we didn't feel comfortable being in the screen-in porch because we wanted to sit further apart and we still wore our masks. This time it was nice. We could stay in the screen-in porch. We didn't have masks on. We still sat, you know. Families on opposite sides, six or eight feet apart, but uh, it was a lot more pleasant. So that's the only real social interaction I've had. <laughs> I've done some Zooms with some friends. That's nice. It's spring, so, you know, that's lovely out. Uh, we've been walking up and down the neighborhood again, and so I've been seeing some neighbors. Our next-door neighbors are all got their first shot. Actually, I think they're getting their second shots today, so that's pretty exciting be able to hang with them again soon and uh you know people are getting shots it's it's exciting it's exciting uh i went to this small town called moncure north dakota north carolina north dakota population 406 to get my first shot uh i was just so happy i was just laughing like a little lunatic after i got it so that was cool but weirdly it's been quite a while it's been five weeks and i don't know why they'd space my shots so far apart but uh you know Early to get the first, late to get the last. So that seems fair. Emma got Johnson and Johnson in between. She got really sick. Five hours later, really bad shakes and short chills and had to cover up with blankets. But she was, you know, a little bit better the next day and took a few days to fully recover. But it, it, the worst of it was right away. Worth it. Uh, yeah. So what's going on in Chatham County? Chatham County will be 250 years old today. No, tomorrow. If you listen to this on Saturday, like it's supposed to come out, it will be the 250th anniversary of my county, which is pretty exciting. There's a big celebration in cars. We're not going to (laughs) go. It's like a little drive around downtown Pittsburgh and get like a passport stamped from different stations kind of thing. You know, not really my bag. Uh, I did just go to Pittsburgh this morning, though, to get some more uh, potting soil. So, you know, at least I went there, I guess. That counts for something, right? But yeah, 250 years. And uh, the other big news is that The Guardian had a giant article about Pittsburgh, which is the town county seat of my county, Chatham County. I don't live... I live 10 miles away from Pittsburgh, a little bit closer to Carborough, which is not in my county. But, uh, 
yeah, there's really bad water in Pittsburgh, amongst the worst in the nation for PFOAS. So <laughs> there's this big article, Consumer Reports, and The Guardian tested the water in like 1,600 American towns and cities, and Pittsburgh is one of the worst. So congratulations, Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh takes its water directly from the Haw River and has its own water treatment plant. The, the rest of the county, Chatham County, takes its water from the Jordan Lake, which is what the Haw River flows into. It's all part of the Cape Fear River Basin. But Jordan Lake is huge, and uh, so apparently the PFOAS have a chance to dilute a little bit. Also, is it PFOAs or P-O-F-O-A-S? Because the Guardian article was P-F-O-A-S with the S capitalized. So I don't really know how that goes. Is it like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how do you pluralize it because there's more than one. But anyway, uh, they separate separate water treatment plant for us. But yeah, it's still kind of terrifying. Got to get a whole home filtration system. We put one in when Janet built her house, so she's got one, but we don't have one. So yeah, big, big goings on here in Chatham County this week. Uh, the walks are really nice watching the, the, the plants come back. All right. My cherry blossom tree came and went all over the last 10 days since I last talked to you, it bloomed, it exploded in blooms. And today it just dumped all the petals on the ground. So oh, it was nice while it lasted. I really love that tree. I love the anticipation waiting for it. And, uh, it came and it was lovely. And, uh, Nick and Megan almost saw it. It was starting to bloom when they're here, but they didn't get it in full bloom. But my mom's been enjoying it, which is nice. I'm glad she got to see it. And uh, yeah, farewell, farewell, sweet cherry blossom tree. I will miss you so much. Uh, Emma put down on the waiting list for these. <laughs> I think I talked about them like six months ago. These Chatham County based specialized builders of kids play sets, right? Yeah, I talked about this before because they recycle the wood from the play sets to make play sets for goats. And I thought that was really awesome. Anyway, we've been on the waiting list since like December and they said April. So I'm going to check in with them and they're about ready to do us except for everybody at the place got COVID. <laughs> Which is pretty amazing because they work outside and the vaccines here, but people are still getting it. It's, uh, you know, the case count in the county is still creeping up. 800, 900 people still dying in America a day. It's pretty stressful. It's pretty stressful. I uh, I want to pretend it's over, but I don't think it's over yet. And, you know, it's looking good in Israel. Israel's sort of our Petri dish of, like, what a widely vaccinated country looks like in the face of the variants. And it looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. So hopefully we're getting there. Man, I hope people get their vaccines, though. They, they, they say June will be when the demand curve flips from less supply, more demand, to more supply, less demand. And then they're going to have to start convincing people. Uh, I was talking to a friend who had to convince his parents to go get it. So, you know, let's all do our duty and convince curmudgeonly old people to go get the vaccine. And of course, our other weird friends, I don't actually know. I mean, I probably do, but they, they don't, they don't let on to me, but I don't, I am unaware of any friends my age who are anti-vaxxers. So I guess, uh, Knocking on wood doesn't really work on a podcast very well. I apologize for that. <laughs> Got my taxes done. Did you get your taxes done? Uh, <laughs> I wonder what's up with that. Like my accountant was adamant. I mean, not adamant. He didn't explicitly say anything, but it was very clear he wanted those taxes done by April 15th, whether or not we got an extension from the government or not. And I was thinking about it and I'm like, are accountants like annoyed that we all have extensions? Because number one, you know, like normally 
I didn't have to do it this year, but normally have to, we have to file an extension. I did a lot of angel investing back to a few years back, and some of those companies have K-1s, and not all of them are the most prompt in the world at getting their K-1s to me. And even though the K-1s usually have zeros on them, I have to file extensions because I can't file tag final returns until I get the K-1s. But, you know, if you get an extra month, maybe there are fewer extensions, so they make less money. I suppose that's a possibility. And I don't actually know. I've never, I, you know, when I was a kid... My mom was friends with this accountant slash financial planner, and he had some kids. His daughter was my age. I think I was in love with her for a week, but we mainly we were just childhood friends. And um, but you know, the, he didn't seem like he was on vacation six months of the year. But that's what it kind of feels like. It feels like my accountant just wants to get on vacation again, and he's like, "Get those taxes done now." And I'm like, "All right, well, yeah, it's cool. We're done. Owed a bunch of money as we always do." I don't know a bunch of money. I have a normal W-2 job, get taxes taken out, but my wife is a, you know, works for herself and uh, has not super stable income. That has one stable client, but the rest of it's all over the place, so it makes it kind of hard to do quarterly, so she always has to pay. So, you know, plus you got to figure out the SCP amount. It's a whole thing, so that's all done. I feel very good about that. And the other big thing is uh, <laughs> I've, started buying, I've started buying tickets to shows again, to rock and roll shows. It's very exciting. Godspeed, you Black Emperor announced the tour, and I got tickets for it at Cat's Cradle, uh, which is awesome. Uh, you know, Cat's Cradle's made it this far. Hopefully, they're going to make it through the pandemic. They're starting to announce shows again. And I had, just this morning, I bought tickets for Dinosaur Jr. in October, which is very exciting. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my God. I don't know. They, they are one of the most brutally assaultive live bands in the world. Actually, I'm kind of scared. It's been a while since I've seen, in a, seen them in a room that small. Cat's Cradle is like a 600 capacity room, 550, I think. I could be off. Let's look. Oh, I was off, 750. But it's two rooms, so I don't know if that includes both rooms. Anyway, pretty small room. Uh, I've been seeing them in larger venues or outdoors. I'm at South by a bunch outdoors. It's still <laughs> brutally loud there. So it'll be interesting to see what that's like in a room of the size of the cradle. <laughs> and then uh, I looked it up and I have tickets for Bikini Kill that I did successfully get back in uh, 2019 or something. <laughs> and as far as I can tell, the show has been rescheduled and your old tickets are good. I think I got to double check. I, I don't know. I had tickets to so many shows and refunds are coming in for some of them and I just never kept track. So now it's time I got to like keep track of this whole thing. Dead Can Dance rescheduled in New York for October. So, you know, nobody's bravely scheduled a show before October that I want to see anyway. There are some other stuff. But it looks like uh, by the fall, I'll be seeing rock and roll again. And it was so funny too. Like uh, Waxahachie's coming to the Haw River Ballroom, which is this amazing ballroom out in the country, further out, another 20 miles out further from me. And it's along a river and an old mill and it's just great. And uh, it's on a Monday night and I was like, I don't know, man. And also Julian Baker's playing there and uh, Tennis are playing there. And I'm like, oh, I could just, I want to go and I'm going to buy tickets, but I have tickets to one of them. But I was like, I know what's going to happen. Like November's going to roll around and I'm going to be like, oh man, it's so far and it's a Monday night. I don't want to go. <laughs> and as many personal vows I make to myself that I will not be that way, that I will no longer take for granted rock shows and I will keep going to them. That's probably not true. I'll probably start taking them for granted again. <laughs> 
I was talking to my friend Kelly last night and we were saying the same thing about weddings. Like, oh man, we realized we don't, we, we only have one mutual single friend left and it was like, oh, weddings are so fun. I guess we're not going to ever get to go to another wedding. We started talking about the one friend and I was like, ah, she's not going to invite me. And then I was like, I hereby vow. I, I was getting so lax about weddings and I was skipping too many of them and I'll never do it again. But even as I was saying, it, I was like, yeah, it's probably not true. <laughs> I'll probably start skipping one. It'll get to be like 2022. I'll be like, oh God, another wedding. And then I'll just be over it again. But right now I really miss weddings and rock shows. And, you know, I mean, I guess I'm still going to have a toddler when these things come around. I'm still going to have to get up in the morning and feed her and I still have to go to work. So it's, I don't really know how I'm going to fit it into my life, but I really want to. So I'm going to, I guess babysitters, right? We can get babysitters. Oh, maybe I'll get an au pair. Our friends had an au pair. It seemed really cool, but it never really seemed our thing. But who knows? Who knows? Nah, I like my kid. The answer, of course, is I will bring my kid to Dinosaur Jr. at the age of four. Uh, she might be three still. It's right around her birthday, so, you know, hard to say. Anyway, uh, wow, yeah, that was a long intro. Mom's doing well. Uh, she's probably going to go home in the next couple weeks. Uh, we're waiting on one final appointment next week, and we ordered some new hearing aids. They'll be here Monday after next. But yeah, she's about ready to go home. And uh, we're trying to figure that all out. She's doing good. She's sitting up at the porch right now. It's a lovely day outside, so she's enjoying the weather. Uh... <laughs> I have a... Oh, yeah, okay, I remember. I had a note in my things to talk about related to mom, and it says, old friend sads, and I couldn't remember what it is, but I remember now. It's really interesting. So she's got this old friend, and they, like, talked on the phone, I don't know, two or three weeks ago. I heard them talking, and I was like, wow, who's she talking to that doesn't know all this stuff, you know? It's obviously somebody she hasn't talked to in a while, because you could tell just by the topic of conversation, it was going back a ways. And it turned out it was this old friend of hers, Francis, and uh, my mom, you know, she's got a little bit of memory problems. It's one of the things we discovered when she was here. And uh, she's getting better at writing things down, which she hadn't really written it down. And she was like, okay, that, that, the friend is going to be in Fairbanks back on May 1st. But we're not exactly sure if May 1st is the date. And we can't find Francis's phone number anywhere or her email. And it's really weird because, like, I heard her talking on the phone, but then I scrolled back on her phone. And she's an iPhone, but it's like a 7. And the call log only goes back to April 2nd. It only went back like two or three weeks, which is really weird. I thought call logs went back like as infinitely as text messages do. So she doesn't have her number. She typed in her number and we called it, but it's not a number. That's the right area code. She probably like wrote a digit down wrong or something. And so it's like, you know, I went into her Yahoo and found this woman's email address from literally 10 years ago. And we emailed that today, but we don't know if that's going to work. And it's like, it really reminded me of back pre before cell phones and Facebook when you were just out of touch with people and they just disappeared from your life. And it was very hard to like get their phone number or email or get in touch with them or you had to write to them. And like, you know, that still happens to some older people that never really got on the digital thing. Like my mom has a cell phone and an email now. So that's, you know, she's in the good shape, but apparently this woman does not. So yeah, it's still just sad when you lose a friend that you just can't figure out how to get in touch with them. You know what I mean? It's a bummer. Anyway, anyway, Jane's doing well, ever increasing vocabulary, can read things. So the interesting thing that happened is she knows the word morning because Janet taught her reading. She, you know, and but like... And she reads really long things back to me off of like my shirts or things like that. You know, like I wore a Merge Records shirt. And she says, that says Merge Records. Or we have these brown rice crackers and they're called brown rice snaps. And, um, you know, like Japanese style crackers, but they got a little like soy in them. And she reads it off there, brown rice snaps. 
And uh, so at some point, Janet taught her the word morning, probably out of a book, right? Morning, whatever. And I was feeding her breakfast and she, I, one of the things I eat for breakfast, she doesn't want to touch it, are those morning, morning Star Farms little veggie sausages. I have one patty of those every day for breakfast because they're so delicious, the hot and spicy ones. Oh my God, they're so good. And out of the blue, for the first time, she saw the box and she was just like, that says morning. And I was like, it does say morning. So not only... Do you have that word memorized from a book? You recognize it in other contexts. And I, that was, that was interesting. She really is, uh, she you see her sounding words out. She's, I've watched her figure out words that I knew she didn't know. And then she's just like, oh, that is, you know, I can't remember what the word was, but it's pretty impressive, man. Three years old and decent reading vocabulary. Definitely, definitely kindergarten reading level vocabulary by now. Uh, definitely fewer tantrums, which is good. Today was rough. Apparently she... I was gone, but she took it out on grandma pretty hard this morning while I was at the hardware store. <laughs> uh, Grammy, that is, Janet. Janet is Grammy. My mom is grandma. Uh, you know, Janet watches her 10.30 to 11.30 every day. And uh, she, apparently she's a little rough on her today. But by and large, I think the tantrums are getting a little bit better. They were really, really bad like, over the last month. And it was really exhausting. And it was kind of making me crazy. But now they're getting a little bit better. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, grandma book time is happening. My mom is sort of like coherent enough and, uh, you know, like they've gotten used to each other. And so after dinner now, she's like, knows that go over to grandma sitting on the couch and grandma will read her books. And then Emma and I can go do our walk without her, which is lovely. It's like, it's the only time alone time. No, nah, it's not true, but it's some of the only alone time we get in the day. So, you know, it's kind of our recap the day kind of time and uh that's all that's all very nice and it's nice that you know they're getting along and grandma's helping that's nice it's nice work is going well yeah it's a transition we're doing a transition uh i wrote a column for the why is this interesting newsletter it is a very popular newsletter uh on substack it's free it's a daily email about interesting things I've written a few for it before, but I wrote one about Apple and its ad tracking transparency framework. And I've talked about it here and you can go read the newsletter. And also I just did a podcast interview for ad exchanger, which is kind of like the big, big ad tech publication about Apple ATT as well. That's not out yet, but it should be out in the next week or so. So if you are curious about that stuff, I think those, you know, I've got some good stuff going on there. The one for why is this interesting is similar to, but slightly different from the one I wrote for my own email. A month or so ago. So, you know, if you're on top of everything, you're on top of it. But uh, it's still looming. It's been about six months now that Apple has just been hanging out saying, yeah, we might put you out of business. It's cool. Don't worry. And then not doing anything. Super cool. Super cool that a large trillion dollar company is allowed to just decide they're going to try and potentially put other companies out of business. I don't think we'll go out of business. Not 100% sure. Neither are they. They don't really care, though. That seems pretty clear. And we don't do anything wrong. We don't do any of the things they claim people do that are all evil and stuff. But hey, whatever, man. Yeah. Super awesome. Really pro Apple right now. Uh, but in the good news, uh, <laughs> we also got our taxes done for work. That was very exciting. Which is also very hard because we got a file in like five states now. Texas and California. And I don't even know where else. But uh, got that done. Uh, got a new PM and she lives in Austin, Texas and she's amazing and the whole company loves her and it's really great and it makes us feel much more organized. We of course have a head of product that is very good at these things, but she's very overworked. So we got some help and the new PM is awesome. And we had a big meeting yesterday about a big client and it was great. 
he made a flyer for the meeting, <laughs> which I laugh at, but also was really great. So <laughs> that was fun. Uh, yep. Yeah, hitting some new re- revenue record days, which is cool. And, uh, yeah, we had a sociopath for a client and I think we're going to fire him uh, or they're going to fire us. It's obviously going to end one way or the other. Uh, and I haven't had one of those in a while. You know, I've had my share of sociopath through the years for clients. I had one at UNICEF. That guy was a nutbag. It was really painful too, because it was a charity. It was, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was like, oh, I'm going to let this man verbally abuse me and my team. Because it's a charity, it was really bad. And then I had another one that worked for a famous pop star. That guy was a bit of a sociopath. But it's been a while since I had a sociopath client that just flat out lies. And David at work had to like sort of corner him in the lie. And you know, like we have like some interlocutors, intermediaries that are like, we could save this. We should talk to a supervisor. I'm like, yeah, but he's still there. I think we should wait till the sociopath either flames out or moves on. Because they usually do one or the other, right? Like, you figure out, most of the time, somebody figures out they're a sociopath. It takes a while to fire people these days, but, like, usually they can get fired. Or the sociopath senses that the walls are closing in, and they jump ship. But not always. Sometimes a sociopath succeeds. And the thing is, once one sociopath succeeds in a company, like, all the other sociopaths might sort of gravitate towards it. They can't get too close. They got to maintain some distance, but they could like infiltrate other segments of the organization until you have a whole wholly sociopathic organization, which I don't think is the case here. I think we're still dealing with a single sociopath, but until I know what's going to happen to the sociopath, I don't really think there's much point in working with them. It's kind of a bummer though. They were a good client. They weren't a huge client, but they had the potential to be a big client. So that was a bummer. We won't see it in our revenue or anything, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's hard, man. Whenever you run across a sociopath in the business world, whew, let me tell you. I mean, obviously, there's plenty of sociopaths in the business world. They tend to just work at the big evil companies. You, most sociopaths in tech just are like, I'm a sociopath in tech. I'm going to go work at Google or Facebook. It's very self-fulfilling, you know. It's when you get these weird sociopaths that go rogue. <laughs> I should run a whole theory about this. That's definitely the kind of essay that'll get trolls after you. I'll pass. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's work. It's going well. Uh, gardening. Gardening's going pretty well. I got a bunch of stuff in the ground over the last two days. I, as you know, have been making little weekly update videos about it. It's super fun. Uh, I got my two big birdies beds planted with the peppers. I got the overwintered peppers outside, and I'm trying to rejuvenate them. Out of the ten so far, only two look like they're rejuvenated, which is a bit of a bummer. But I was prepared for this because I was dubious that I was overwintering my peppers correctly and I planted a bunch of new peppers. So these are really bonus peppers, <laughs> but I wanted to succeed. I don't like it when I fail at these things. It's a bummer. Got some cucumbers planted, some fennel planted, some Napa cabbage planted. Uh, I got all the tomatoes planted. I have not built the tomato. That's a lie. I don't have all the tomatoes planted. I have one each of the indeterminate vining varieties planted and ready to go up the trellis. Once I build the trellis next to it, I'll probably build the trellis next weekend. I got a little time. The plants aren't that tall yet. I got to paint all the pieces for it because Emma doesn't like things looking ugly. So that's a whole thing. Uh, I might actually tomorrow, I don't know, maybe Sunday, I don't know, run to the grocery store, not the grocery store, hardware store and buy some paint to get that going. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, I got all that stuff planted. Uh, I brought out the the mint survived the winter outside. That was very exciting. Uh, I had three good basil plants inside still from overwintering that I cared for all winter and uh, was getting basil from all winter and now they're outside and flourishing again one sweet two Asian 
and uh, I have this green stock planter. It's about 30 little planting spots, and I put basically one of everything in it to see what works in there. Watermelons, fennel, bok choy, napa cabbage, Thai basil, purple opal basil, parsley. I think I put a rosemary in there. Uh, Lufa. <laughs> put a lot of lettuce, spinach, different lettuce. Uh, a lot of stuff, and it's it's looking good. It's starting to flourish. I got a lot more to do. Oh, I planted the grapes. I think only one of them survived the wintering process. I bought them about four months ago and left them in the garage dormant. And I thought you could do that, but apparently only one survived. The other ones look like they kind of died. Uh, same with the blueberry. But I've planted them all, and I'm leaving them out and watering them and hoping they, they come back over the next few days. I did get a new replacement blueberry today, and I got some strawberries today. I'll plant those as well. I'm going to get all my different basils and start a little basil garden up on the porch today. Uh, when I say today, I mean this weekend. It's not going to be today. But yeah, that's all going pretty well. It's it's pretty exciting. Uh, did I forget? Oh, yeah. And then today, dirt, man. The dirt is a whole thing. So Emma bought me a whole square yard of topsoil. And I used all that up. And, you know, I had to mix that with compost and vermiculite and stuff like that to make it into planting soil. Used it all up on the birdies beds. And uh, then I went and bought 20... One square, one cubic foot bags of container soil. I got it delivered from the hardware store up the street. And I used most of that up. But then I was like, I could do some math at that point. I'm like, okay, I got these two big whiskey barrels. I got this thing that'll take three and three and three. And it'll be about 10 more bags. And then I got all the small stuff, maybe another like six or eight bags. And I realized I didn't have enough. So I went and bought 12 more bags of potting soil today. So I'm now well over two cubic feet of soil I've had to buy this year, along with probably about a cubic foot of soil I had from last year. It's a lot of dirt, man. It's just a lot of dirt. Yeah. But hopefully next year, I said this last year, I won't have to buy any more dirt. My compost is going well. I mean, it doesn't heat up. I don't know why, but it is still degrading. And it's still composting and I've got all the dirt from last year. So I think next year I should be in pretty good shape. And I really going to try and do this next year without buying bags of anything. Bags are annoying, you know, it's just, ugh, God, I'll buy my fertilizer, all the liquid Neptune's harvest and the gallon jugs, something like that. Instead of these espoma bags of fertilizer and bags of dirt and bags of perlite, bags of vermiculite, bags, 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 bags. It's just too much. But yeah, we're kicking into spring now. It's pretty exciting. Uh, I'm going to get the spinach and lettuce out. I'm going to plant some beets. I planted a, oh, I planted a ton of carrots. Uh, they haven't sprouted yet, but it's only been a week. Mm, yeah, they should have sprouted by now, shouldn't they? Hmm. I wonder if the squirrels ate all the seeds. I did put mulch over them, but oh, man, the squirrels. Yeah, so that's gardening. Uh, yeah, and then writing, you know, really the only writing I'm doing. I mean, I write every day. Obviously, I have that lovely newsletter. Thank you to those that have signed up. Uh, it's super fun to write. I did a Q&A edition today. Uh, that was fun. Uh, I wrote a long piece this week about, <laughs> about the police shootings. I shouldn't laugh. It's really depressing. Uh, I was in a pretty depressed state for most of the week. Mm, about 50% about because of our political situation in this country and the, and the police shootings. And then I was also just tired from tantrums, a little overwhelmed and got a little cranky and I snapped out of it about a day and a half ago. So I'm going to continue to sound chipper, even though I'm discussing a really depressing topic, but I wrote a really long essay about that and sort of a, an idea I believe passionately in, which is that there should be this sort of NTSB national transportation safety board style federal independent department that is responsible for all incidents of police violence investigations in the United States because it doesn't exist. 
and they often are done by the department that did the shooting. And they, when not, are done by the Justice Department. With the NTSB, the federal government believed that the FAA was incapable of uh, investigating itself. So they made the NTSB independent from the FAA. And we should do something like that for police shooting. So I wrote all about that. Then most of the time, though, you know, it's still my hipster Irma Bombeckian musings from life in the country during pandemic with sprinkled with some... Uh, Frequent curmudgeonly complaints about Joe Manchin in the Supreme Court. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of like the podcast, right? But in written form, every day. I do try and not overlap on topics, though. But I don't succeed completely. One area, though, I don't really write about at all in there. I do put a playlist in the in the emails every week. And I write about there every day. And I write about the, the, the bands a little bit. But I don't really talk about music the same way I do. Or media. The same way I do that I tell you doing the podcast. The podcast has a lot more media focus, and we turn to the media now. Yeah, added a bunch of stuff to Plex this week. Been doing some uh, Saturday night dude zooms. <laughs> Occasionally, some ladies will show up later in the evening, and then Emma Emma's sitting in the next room watching Superstore or some other comedy, and then when she hears another woman show up on the on the zooms. <laughs> <laughs> she'll come in too and then they become more of a group thing but it's been like me and my friend Og and my friend Sean and my friend Ben and sometimes Tom you know dudes and uh, we've been talking a lot about weird old movies so we had a license to drive and Major League and Howard the Duck and Light of Day the Michael J. Fox Cleveland Rocks film which features a young Trent Reznor in one of the bands I thought that was interesting so I added all those I added uh, a 4K version of Soul the new Pixar film speaking of Trent Reznor uh, I added a sci-fi film called The Astronaut's Wife that I have not yet watched that I heard about by watching the a making of some other film like six months ago when I watched uh, Silent Runnings and that Zathura space film. Oh, I remember. It was the Galaxy Quest making of documentary that came out last fall talked about uh, the astronaut's wife as being one of the influences on that movie. And it took me a really long time to find a copy. So I just found a copy and I just put it on Plex. I will try and watch that this week and give you a report on it. But that is up there. And then a French film I loved back in the 90s called Camille Claudel, which is a film about a tortured artist, one of my favorite 90s foreign film genres. Uh, yeah, I got a lot more of that sort of stuff coming as well <laughs> over the next few weeks. But uh, that one... Astronaut's Wife and Camille Claudel were added from Netflix. So, yeah, enjoy. Discogs. I sold a lot. Also, I forgot to do the Discogs section two weeks ago, so it's even longer than that. So we'll go through these. I sold a Sebado single, Rebound. On the Rebound. Kind of sad to sell it, but, you know, CD single. I think I have the stone already. Uh, and, you know, very excited to see Lou Barlow ever since he rejoined uh, Dinosaur Jr. That's pretty exciting. He will be here in October. Also bought a Folk Implosion shirt, speaking of Lou Barlow, on the internet not too long ago. Uh, I follow Lou Barlow on Instagram, and he mentioned it, and I used to love the Folk Implosion, so I was like, yeah, I'm going to get a Folk Implosion t-shirt. It's great. I strongly recommend getting yourself a Folk Implosion t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> sold the LL Cool J Mama Said Knock You Out single that I've owned since the week that song hit like the charts. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty sad. Great song, though. I sold Insomniac by Green Day. It wasn't mine. I think it was Emma's. Uh, I sold You Gotta Say Yes to Another Excess, the second album by the Swiss synth-pop duo Yellow. 
the album that came out right before Stella, the album that had, oh yeah, do bomb bomb. Early Yellow was fantastic. Actually, Late Yellow was really good too. Yellow is a great band. Strong recommend. Just start at the beginning and go through them all, man. Ooh, first three, four albums. Solid Pleasure, Clara, Cassie. You got to say yes to Another Excess and Stella. Just great run of great run of records right there. I saw the Christy McCall Angel single, which made me really sad. Christy McCall, of course, is uh, the English singer who was killed in a boating accident, and it was negligent homicide, and the family spent years and years and years trying to achieve justice on the whole thing, and I think eventually the man paid restitution to a charity or something like that. She is these days best known as being the woman singer who does the duet with Shane McGowan in the Pogues fairy tale of New York. They got cars big as balls, they got rivers of gold, but the wind goes right through you, no place for the old. I will stop. But uh, yeah, I sold this Angel single. I really used to love her, and I'm really sad to see that single go. Uh, <laughs> I sold the Fleetwood Mac album. No, that's a lie. It was Bee Gees, number one. And that guy, I think I even, this has been going on for so long. I think I even like bitched about it two weeks ago on the podcast, but basically he bought the album and it was the wrong matrix runout number, correct catalog number, correct barcode number, everything that like you identify, but the matrix runout number was wrong. And the Bee Gees are apparently one of those bands on discogs that people care about matrix runout numbers is I would say one in 10 bands. People care about this and there's no way to easily tell. And it's super annoying. And then I was like, yeah, you can send it back for a refund. And he wouldn't just send it back. I had to print him out a mailing label and email it to him. And he didn't know how to print out mailing labels or email. it. I'm like, well, you want me to mail you physically a mailing label, dude? It's the year 2021. And it was like, he was super impatient. Like my discog says everything will be done within three days. And he was like, is it here? Is it here? Is it here? I was like, dude, it's been like eight hours. I'm sorry. I'm working. <sighs> Finally got all that done. Got the CD back. Refunded his money. I, got it. I forgot to ban him as a buyer. It's not really his fault. I mean, Discogs should have some indicator. <laughs> this is a ban. People care about the Matrix runout. I talked about this before. Anyway, it's finally wrapped up. It took fucking forever. That guy was really annoying. <laughs> I hope he doesn't listen to the podcast. Uh, I sold Mojave 3's out of tune, and I'm super bummed because it's a great record, and I don't own it on vinyl, and it's probably impossible to get on vinyl. I haven't even looked yet, but I guarantee you it's like 50 bucks. I sold Harry Nilsson's Nilsson Schmilson on vinyl. Uh, that's fine. I think I already own a cheap-ass copy of that on vinyl. I sold that on CD, Nilsson Schmilson. Sold all of these on CD. I may have misspoken. Uh, Hayden, Hayden Dressner, Hayden. He is a Canadian singer-songwriter. I love him and have loved him for hmm, 30 years almost. I got really into Hayden when I lived on Higgins Street in Alston by the Burger King. Alston, Massachusetts, across the, from the model. And uh, we used to watch a lot of Much Music. And his first album came out. His second album, actually, Everything I Long For, the album in question that I just sold. And we were obsessed with him. Girl of my dreams. Things are as bad as they seem. He is perhaps best known for doing the theme to Trees Lounge. The, uh... Uh, I guess it's Kevin Spacey Oof. but it's got uh, that great guy we all love Steve Buscemi in it so yeah Trees Lounge uh, anyway seen him a few times through the years most recently at uh, Glasslands in Williamsburg RIP I loved that place that was great uh, oh my god he's so good he's so good 
he still puts out music and I still love him and I sold that and I don't think I own it on vinyl. So now I got to go buy that. And I sold the high single by the cure, which is fine because I never really liked that album. Uh, well, you know, I like edge of the deep green sea and after, or no apart, but you know, as an album after disintegration, a little too poppy for my tastes. So yeah, those are what I sold. Uh, I got a bunch of vinyl, uh, purchased, or obtained in various ways. I got the new album by a band called Insides. Insides were a band on Guernica Records in the 90s. Guernica Records was an offshoot record label of 4AD. I think basically what happened is, from what I can ascertain from reading the history of 4AD, is that Ivo Watts Russell, the founder of 4AD and main impetus behind the band This Mortal Coil, had sold, or he never really owned the label, the label was always owned by Beggar's Group, and uh, he had sold the American rights to the label to Warner Brothers, and he had moved to America, uh, to L.A. at first, to run the label. In New York and then L.A., they had offices in L.A. and New York, because they were getting really big in America. They had the Pixies and Throwing Muses, and Ultra, it seemed was getting kind of big. The Breeders were getting big, and, you know, so they were getting all rock and roll in America, and it was like he wanted a outlet for more creative stuff, so he started this spinoff label. It's very common in the hip-hop world and things like that, but it was very, really, really kind of weird. Uh, it was called Guernica Records, and um, the two bands that I most remember for Guernica were Insides and The Underground Lovers. There were other ones. We're going to look for you. Hold, please. Oh, right. The reason I didn't remember is because most of the other ones were... Guernica was exclusively a UK label, so a lot of the other bands were bands I already knew about in America that had American labels. So Unrest, for example, and That Dog. And then it also had Spoonfed Hybrid, which was Ian Masters from the Pale Saints Project after the Pale Saints. Anyway, I really liked Insides. They had an album called Euphoria. It was brilliant. They put out one album in the year 2000, so eight years later, five, I don't know, six, seven years later. And then they just put out an album this week. And I bought a vinyl copy, autographed on pink vinyl, and it's fantastic it's so good it's called soft bonds it is incredibly mellow smooth and very very good and i strongly recommend it insides soft bonds i bought a copy of the shellac album 1000 hertz on vinyl i own the cd and i sold it and i profoundly missed it always meant to buy that on vinyl and i didn't it was the one shellac album Uh, that's not true i don't think i own terraform on vinyl either uh, but it has the song prayer to god on it that it was a big dance hit at altamara's parties (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when Declan the DJ would DJ in the pub after their bands and we would all like kind of headbang to prayer to <laughs> prayer to God by Shellac to the one true God above. Anyway, I'll stop. I don't know why I'm singing so much. I'm in a good mood today. I apologize. Anyway, I got that uh, cathode, the Boston post rock band that we were very good friends with and played a lot of shows with. They had put out a seven inch single uh, Baja backed with fighter pilot uh, on Castle Von Bueller records. The other local label that I was very, very jealous of that were run out of a house about four doors down from Arch Enemy Record Company. <laughs> they were not the Arch Enemy. But uh, yeah, they had really great design by Cliff Stoltz. And uh, I just, I didn't own the Cathode 7 inch single and I wanted to own it. So I bought that. Um, Mogwai has a new album, As Love Turns. I've talked about that album it is great. My vinyl copy came in on double red vinyl plus a 12 inch of demos and a box. It's beautiful. Strong recommend there. Uh, Disco Jazz. Do you guys know that 12 inch? By Rupa. It's a classic Indian disco house 12 inch. It's been repressed by Numero Group on kind of a weird kind of puke green vinyl color, but I was into it and I got it. I always wanted to own that vinyl. Couldn't afford the original. So that's pretty cool. Cassio Tone for the Painfully Alone, the one man band from I think Spokane. Uh, 
Owen Ashworth, who now plays his advanced bass. Very, very obsessed with Cassio Tone for the Painfully Alone back in the day, and I love all their records. And he's been doing, on Bandcamp, he's been doing methodical reissues, and the white vinyl version of Etiquette just came out, so I just got that. Very excited. Uh, and then I got two records from my friend Gareth, who's a listener, I believe, so thank you, Gareth. Uh, Anna B. Savage, A Common Turn, which I did not recognize the name, and I put it on, I was like, I recognize this voice. And I had listened to one of her EPs, ages ago and what the main song from that ep is the last song in this album so i didn't know about this album i didn't know i don't i don't know how i first listened to her i had to look it up in my my notes but i had listened to it and i was like oh great she has a whole album and it was really really good and then he also sent me an album by an artist called lost horizons and the album is called in quiet moments but really what this is is simon raymond from the cocteau twins who is also the manager of a fantastic label in england called bella union and he's got a new act, and it's got all, a ton of guest artists from all, you know, Bella Union and other shoegaze and slowcore bands. And it's a great record. Dumble Vinyl did not know about that at all, so I am deeply thankful for that. Thank you, Gareth. Other stuff I listened to this week, the new Arab Strap, As Days Get Dark. Uh, they haven't put an album out in 10 years. You wouldn't know it. Sounds like Arab Strap. It's really great. Really From, self-titled album, Really From. Don't know where I got this from. It's a Boston band. It's kind of fusion jazz math rock. It's a little weird, but it's good. Uh, I'm wondering if some friend of mine in Boston mentioned it. I looked at the names of the band members. I don't know any of them personally, but uh, maybe somebody from Boston told me to listen to it. But that was really good. Ribbon Stage, My Favorite Shrine is the name of the album. Very short pop EP. Maybe these are Aug, actually. It could have been. Uh, it sounded like something that could have come off of Heavenly Records in the 90s. Just bubblegum English pop kind of thing. I don't know if they're actually English. Listen to the new Godspeed You Black Ember, uh, which I will, it's called G underscore D apostrophe S. So gods, I guess, P at states and capitalized with an exclamation point. <laughs> I love trying to say Godspeed You Black Ember album titles out loud, but it was fantastic and I missed them and I'm very excited to see them live. I haven't seen them in years. The last time I ironically saw them was in North Carolina at Mountain Oasis Festival the year before we moved here. So it would have been seven years ago. So that's very exciting. Uh, that might not be true. One night I was staggering home drunk in Williamsburg at about 9 p.m. It was after we got married because the door guys all loved me at the Music Hall of Williamsburg after we got married because I tipped so well. So I was staggering by and I saw the marquee and it was Godspeed you, Black Emperor. And I like that. The guy was worth the door. I'm like, hey, man. He's like, hey, how you doing? And I was like, these guys are going on. He's like, no, man, they're going on five. Go on in. <laughs> so I had this whole night out. It was like business meetings. And, you know, it wasn't that late because the band hadn't gone on yet. And I just staggered in and like literally as I walked in, I was all alone. The place was packed and they started and I just stood in the back corner and watched Godspeed You Black Emperor by myself, like I'm drunk. And I was like, this is amazing. And then I went home and told Emma. <laughs> so it's been a while, at least six years, but still, I used to, I used to go see that band all the time. Oh my God. I love them. Anyway, dry cleaning. Uh, I don't remember who told me to. Oh, I think I saw they they did like a um, KCRW or KEXP, one of the YouTube music channels I watched. They did a thing there, and I watched one song and I was like, "Oh, I'll check them out." So I watched it, listened to their album, New Long Leg. It's kind of like a synthy version of The Fall with a Lady Singer, and I really liked it. Uh, Chris Corsano and Bill Orcutt make made out of sound. It's uh, Chris Corsano. I've listened to a bunch of his stuff in his various acts, but it's basically like psych folk free jazz, and I really enjoyed it. Made out of sound. Apparently, they made this album, did the drums, they're, they're a duo, drums and guitar, did the drums, 
alone, sent the album. You, you do this a lot, like, you know, postal service kind of thing, right? Make the album through the mail. But I've never heard, like, a psych, a psych jazz thing with that, like, intensity of complexity of playing done through the mail. So that was really interesting. Uh, Le Rev, Tales of Running Away, uh, Straight Ahead Rock, Lady Singer. I don't really, uh, Pitchfork said they really liked it, and I, it didn't really do it for me. It was fine. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Not my thing. Lost Horizons and quite oh, I just talked about that. The Simon Raymond thing and B. Savage talked about that. L7. <laughs> With some regularity over the last 30 years, I get Pretend We're Dead by L7 stuck in my head. I saw them live like two or three times back in the day because they're just a really phenomenal live band, the drummer especially. And I was like, I wonder if they ever put out any other albums. Turns out they did. They've been putting them out the whole time. Not a lot, but you know, a steady pace every six, seven years. And they just put them out a couple of years ago called Scatter the Rats. And it was very good. So, yeah. Strong recommend. I listened to the new Demi Lovato because I, the, her backstory compelled me. Dancing with the Devil, The Artist Starting Over. It's kind of a recovery album. Hold, please. Okay, sorry. I was getting close to the end of last week's podcast and uh, I needed to move the files. Whatever. Anyway, this is going to be quite a story. So the thing, you know what the Demi Lovato album reminds me of? <laughs> I, I alluded to this in the email, so I apologize for reading this prize. But basically, it reminds me of Chuck Negron from Three Dog Night and his autobiography, Three Dog Nightmare, the story of Chuck Negron's addiction with heroin. Chuck Negron was so addicted to heroin that at one point he took, uh, he was on that drug that you take uh, that makes it so heroin doesn't work on you. And he was jonesing so bad, he bought all the heroin in LA and took it in an effort to feel something while he was on that drug. Narcan, is it? Uh, <laughs> the dude was a mess for a long time and he was pretending he was recovered when he wrote this autobiography and like the autobiography ends on this happy note of him singing Jeremiah was a bullfrog joy to the world song to his inpatient patient mates at a recovery clinic. And this is all before Celebrity Rehab and Chuck Negron was on Celebrity Rehab and all that. That's confirming my strong belief when reading the book that he was not going to be better. And that's what I feel like when I'm listening to Demi Lovato's album. And I feel bad saying that because I desperately hope that she's okay and that she's better. I feel a little bit better. I have since watched the, her Tiny Desk concert and she looks good. She looks good. She looks like she's probably doing better. But when you listen to the album, you're like, mm, I would not call this a recovery album just yet. I would call it a recovery aspirational record. It hurts to listen to stuff like that. But it's good. Uh, Casting Crooker who is an old friend of mine and one of the three founding original members of Freeze Pop. And uh, before that, he was in a band called, what were they called? <laughs> oh my God, I can't even remember. They, they were produced by Glenn Ballard. They did pretty well for a while there, but I forget their name. Anyway, uh, and since then, he's been doing a lot of stuff under the name Symbian Project, but this one he did under his own name. And it's a soundtrack for a movie called One and the Same. And I've never heard Cassin do a soundtrack, and it is very well done. It sounds like a soundtrack. That sounds like a backhanded compliment. It's not. It's very hard to do that music. I haven't watched the movie, but uh, very well done. Nice job, Cassin. Uh, some <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, at some point, like ten minutes from now, the name of his band before Freespark is going to come to me. But it's not. Was it Siren Song? Or was that somebody else? Might have been Siren Song. Anyway, uh, new Taylor Swift, old Taylor Swift, Fearless Taylor's version. If you don't know the story, Taylor Swift is re-recording all of her albums because she hates the dude that owns the rights to them, and he is a bad man. And 
So she's screwing him over by recording all the albums. He doesn't technically own the rights anymore. He sold them to this couple, this family, this rich family that Taylor says seems very nice, but he maintained a financial interest in them. And then he sold that company, Ithaca Holdings, to a Japanese music conglomerate that is mainly behind a bunch of K-pop stars. But he's on the board of that, so he probably still owns a little segment of it. So Taylor seems to be proceeding apace with her plan to re-record all her old albums. And Fearless just came out. So I never really listened to Fearless. My wife saw the tour, and that was when I first got into Taylor Swift, is when Emma was like, oh my god, this tour was amazing. Her and her mom went in Florida. <laughs> and then I got into her from there, and I listened to the album since then. But So I, you know, I know the hits, but I, I've never really listened to it all the way through. And I did. And there's some good songs on it. She also has a section at the end called From the Vault. It's five or six songs that did not make it onto Fearless, thus do are not owned by Ithaca Holdings and Big Red Machine. And she owns rights to them completely, so she just put those on the end of the album as well. So some of those are pretty good. One of them is really bad, but two of them are really good. So, yeah. Spirit of the Beehive, Entertainment, Death is the name of the album. I listened to this band because there is a David Sylvian album called Spirit of the Beehive that I really liked. And Pitchfork said it was pretty good, and I didn't like it very much. I can see why Pitchfork did, but I didn't like it very much. Uh, moon seven times. Okay, here we go. <laughs> the moon seven times were <laughs> a goth folk band from Indiana in the nineties. And they were before that, they were a band called area that I liked. They were on Salem Mort records and I had one area album and I really liked it. Then they became the moon seven times and I bought the first moon seven times album and I loved it. And they've toured through Boston. They played at the middle East upstairs and it was just a sublime show. And I love them so much. And I think of that band all the time. And, uh, in parallel to this, the record label Salem Mort who put out area, but not the moon seven times, just finally put their compilation albums, Dr. Death series onto Spotify. The moon seven times is not on the Dr. Death compilations, but area is anyway, it's a lot of backstory. I'm obsessed with the moon seven times, especially the woman in the band's voice. I just love it. It's like in the back of my head, my whole life. Right. And I realized that like, I was like, what's up with her? <laughs> what happened after that one amazing moon seven times album? And it turns out there were two other moon seven times albums after that, which I dimly knew about. And I think I even owned one at one point, but I never gave them a fair shot. So I finally listened to them. One is called sunburnt and one is called seven equals 49. I listened to both of them and they're fantastic. And then I poked around on discogs cause it's the greatest thing ever. And you can see what every band member of every band also did. And she went on to start a band called Shotgun Wedding, and they have an album called The Big World of Fun. Both pretty terrible names, but actually pretty good record. Uh, it's not as goth or as shoegazy as Moon Seven Times, but it's nice, and her voice sounds great, and I really recommended it. Uh, Shotgun Wedding, A Big World of Fun. And then the guy in the Moon Seven Times in area, who had been her sort of collaborator across those two bands, had another band called Lanterna, and I've actually been running across them recently on old shoegaze compilations because Lanterna was mainly a shoegaze band, and they put out an album between the first and second Moon Seven Times albums, and Lynn sings on the, that record a little bit, and then he put out like five more albums. So I have not listened to the other four Lanterna records yet, but I did listen to the first one, self-titled Lanterna, that also has Lynn from the Moon Seven Times on it, and it was very, very good. And then I realized that... I had never heard their band before Area, and it was called Ack Ack, A-C-K-A-C-K, and uh, it's impossible to find, but it is on YouTube, two of their singles, Automatic and Another Face, and they're pretty good. She's not the main singer in it, so I don't like them as much. It's New Wave, 
uh, 80s. It's like 87 New Wave, and it's pretty good, though. So, ack, ack. You know, if I ever come across those singles, I'll pick them up. I have not re-listened to all of Area yet, but I have listened to all the Moon Seven times. I just love her voice so much. I can't say enough for it. So then I started getting really stalkery, and I like... Uh, <laughs> There was a URL on her Discogs page, and I went to it, and that's how I found out about Shotgun Wedding. But also, she's in an 80s cover band that plays weddings and stuff that still exists to this day, and they have like an Instagram and a Twitter page, and there's all these amazing photos of her dressed up as Cindy Lauper and stuff. And I swear to God, after pandemic, I'm going to figure out when they're playing some bar in Illinois, and I'm going to drive there, and I'm going to watch her play this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> But if all that is remotely interesting enough to you, you should probably just start out with the first Moon Seven Times record, which I did not mention because I've listened to it thousands of times in my life. So just go for that one. <laughs> uh, and then uh, my friend Nick pointed me to an interesting, very good new song by Alan Parsons Project, of all people. And we found out there's an album that they put out not that long ago, 2006, and it's called A Valid Path. And I listened to it yesterday and it's very good. I don't know if there's more. I haven't got that far yet, but I am now newly interested in the later career of the Alan Parsons Project. <laughs> and that album is worth a listen. I, a valid path. And then we had a bunch of singles. Matthew Deere put out a single coming from a, his Lost Country album, which is very interesting to me. And the songs are very good. And I'm all about Matthew Deere doing country. I would pay good money for every ghostly artist to make a country album. <laughs> Oh my God, that would be like my happy place. Uh, Liz Fair has a new single, Spanish Doors. That was pretty good. Uh, not as raw as early Liz Fair, but it's not like her weird, like trying to be a pop star period. It's good. It's good. Teenage Fan Club has a new EP, In Our Dreams. I try to like teen. I loved Bandwagon-esque. I'm just one of those dudes. That's the only album I ever really loved by them. I listen to everything. I've bought other albums since then, and I'm always like, yeah, this is good. But, you know, Power Pop's never really been my thing. So, but, it, you know, if it's your thing, it was good. Speaking of which, Guided by Voices has a new single, Trust Them Now, which I liked because I like Guided by Voices version of Power Pop because it's dirtier and noisier. Loney Deer, Swedish, folky, moody, love Loney Deer. Saw him live once. I, I've seen Looney Deer live like seven times, but one time I saw him at a house party solo acoustic in a loft in New York, and that was fantastic. Uh, but he's got a new single out called Mute All Things Pass. I assume a new album's coming out. Very excited about that. And in a similar vein, the Irish singer-songwriter Fionn Reagan has a new single out called The Scene is Dead. Really used to love Fionn Reagan, so I'm excited to hear something new from him. And Sohn, S-O-H-N, has a great new cover of Song to the Siren out. I did not think that song needed to be covered again, but it is a very good version, and it was really moving. So that's what's up with uh, music this last two weeks. In television, watched two Saturday Night Live since I last spoke to you. I enjoyed them both. The openings were very solid. Chloe Feynman is a national treasure, and so is Keenan Thompson, and they each got a cold open. Uh, it is very nice to see Saturday Night Live without a bunch of celebrities playing people and political openings. I mean, they're both kind of political openings. Don't get me wrong. But that was great. Uh, Kid Cudi's uh, Kurt Cobain-tributed fashion attire made me really, really happy. Uh, I did not know Mumford was English, nor did I know that he was married. <laughs> that was very confusing for me. I thought Mumford and Sons was American bearded. Even I've even seen him a few times, but I, not, I don't know. That was really weird. Uh, and then Emma was watching Superstore, and I watched one episode before a Zoom. Oh, it's TV I watched. It was funny. Not my thing. 
Uh, we watched a couple more episodes of The Great North that I am watching out of duty. It is the animated show with Zach Galifianakis and Jenny Slate and Alanis Morissette. The best thing about that show are the musical numbers. The musical numbers are amazing. The, the theme song is not amazing, but the musical numbers are great. It's kind of funny. I mean, it makes a lot of Alaska jokes. They usually don't really hit home for me. I have a lot of geographic quibbles, things like that. But every once in a while, they make an Alaska joke that I just like totally laugh at. There's at least one good one per episode. And they're short. They're like 20 minutes. So it's not too bad. And then I really was desperate for some new sci-fi, but I was really been into comedy. And we learned about a new sci-fi comedy, which is really our sweet spot for joint watching. And it's Resident Alien. Uh, it's also got Alan Tudyk in it, who is amazing. And we both love Alan Tudyk. So we've been watching that. It's about an alien landing on Earth, and uh, he solves crimes, or maybe he does. I don't know. It's hard to tell. But we're only four episodes in, but, you know, we're watching that. Really, I'm ready for, like, some... I'm ready to get into something again, but I don't know what. I don't know what. Whenever we ask people, I'm, we're seeing no consensus. Everybody's looking for something. Everybody's searching for something, man. Oh, yeah, and I've been watching The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which has not been great. Uh... Yeah, we're all looking for something post WandaVision. Falcon and the Winter Soldier ain't it. I'm a big MCU guy. I just rewatched Black Panther last night to brush up on some of my confusing points of history with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But and the last episode was definitely better. Uh, there's this whole thing where they had to cut out a whole global pandemic plot. So I guess that makes sense. It seems a little like they probably didn't need to do that because it would have been more socially relevant, but there's a theory going around the internet that it was actually the plot was that the global pandemic was mad made man made out of an Asian city called Madripoor, a fictional Asian city in the Marvel universe. But nonetheless, that whole combination in the world of China virus became a little too close to home. So I guess that's why they cut it out. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt on that. The pacing is very choppy and it has very clearly been heavily edited and stuff is missing and it suffers for it. But if I take all that as a given, then I'm like, maybe I'm slightly more impressed that they got something out of it. You know, also I don't care about action scenes. So like, yeah, they're very good action scenes, but I just don't care. I could watch, I can never see another action scene again and I'd be totally fine. Which you wouldn't guess from the stuff I watch. Anyway, uh, that's what's going on there. Um, movies other than black Panther. I watched thunder force, <laughs> which is Melissa McCarthy. And <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Olivia, <laughs> Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer. And the thing is, like, uh, you know, it's, it's on Netflix, direct Netflix. Melissa McCarthy did one of these recently, a different one called Super Intelligence. And it seems that she must have gotten some Netflix development deal where she just makes weird kind of fun sort of genre films on Netflix. And her husband directed it. And it's got Jason Bateman in it. And it's just like you could tell they're all having a great time. And they probably all made like, you know, high six figures, low seven figures each to do this movie. And what a great way to spend your pandemic. Just hang out with your buddies, making a weird ass comic book movie, right? Like I salute her life. All that being said, the film is better than super intelligence, but it's not a great film, but it's fun. And it's got like 10 really good jokes. So I do not feel regrets of watching it, but I'm more, I'm just profoundly envious of their lifestyle. It really seems amazing. <sighs> I think that's about it. Uh, oh yeah, books. Uh, I finished uh, A Close in Common Orbit by Becky Chambers, the woke sci-fi book I was reading. It was deeply rewarding, and I just felt like it was like a warm blanket, and I felt so good reading it. And I was about to start the third one, but the thing about those books is like each one of them only has, it's all they're all in a shared universe, but they don't have the same characters. And I do like sagas, but I, I tend to like my sagas having characters that overlap. And so this one didn't, and I actually ended up really loving the book. And the third one didn't, and I was like, I don't know if I want to do that again. 
even though I really love the second one. So I took a break from it. And I've been reading Fears of a Setting Sun, The Disillusionment of America's Founders by Dennis Rasmussen. I just saw some tweet about this book and I was like, that's the book for me. And basically it's a book about each of the main founding fathers of the country and their disillusionment with the country after the Constitution. There's my mom upstairs. I don't think that's my mom. Somebody's moving something. Anyway, uh, yeah, so you know, it has a section on George Washington, a section on uh, Hamilton, a section on John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison. And it's super, super interesting. And uh, man, those people didn't were not impressed with America. <laughs> Apparently Madison was. He's the last one in the book. And they're like, oh, one of them still remains. But the rest of them. <laughs> The rest of them were just like, yeah, this sucks. This place sucks. These people suck. We didn't do a good job. The Constitution is not all that. Like, they're just the exact opposite of what originalists in the Supreme Court pretend that they are, right? They, none of them were super happy with the Constitution. None of them were happy with the way things turned out. They definitely didn't give a shit about gun control. Like, that is not at all. These people wrote, like, thousands of letters to each other, and they just don't care about guns. But they're just like, yeah, America is not oh, that awesome. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, cool. They don't disagree with my assessment of the country. I mean, I think, you know, they'd be pleasantly surprised and they'd be horrified and they'd be like, con their fears would be confirmed. Everything would be true. There is no easy, simple narrative with the Founding Fathers is what I've come to realize. And what I would really enjoy is some sort of sci-fi, hard sci-fi, where like a... I don't know, like a constitutional professor, maybe like Barack Obama, because he used to be a constitutional law professor and he was a president. That'd be great. If Barack Obama time traveled and sat down one by one, instead of doing a podcast with Bruce Springsteen, he did podcasts with the founding fathers on their deathbeds. Right. They, they, you know, like they loved it. Like very obviously Hamilton went first what with his duel and all. And uh, Jefferson and, and uh, Adams famously went on the same day, July 4th, the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, which Adams was annoyed about, by the way. He thought it should have been the original proclamation that he wrote in May, but whatever. Uh, and if Obama just sat down and be like, well, well, here's how America has turned out. You were right on this. And you're because, you know, obviously every one of them would have been shocked to learn the place lasted 200 years because they didn't think it was going to last 25. And they all saw the Civil War coming. They knew slavery was going to be a problem. And, uh, you know, so they'd be pleasantly surprised about that, I think. But also all their fears are confirmed. Right. I mean, political parties suck. Washington was right. The American populace is dumb. They don't care about their republic. And Jeff, or, uh, Adams was right. You know, <laughs> gridlock happens and the tyranny of the minority happens. Hamilton was right. I haven't read the Jefferson chapter yet. Uh, but anyway, I would listen to that podcast. <laughs> Maybe somebody should do historical reenactments. I, I'll, I'll do Obama. Well, 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 here's what happened. And uh, people could come in and play the uh, the various founding fathers and I could explain to them what happened. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody did that as a podcast, I would totally listen to it. I think it'd be very educational because, you know, they weren't always wrong in the, in the right ways. No, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. They weren't always, their pessimism was not unfounded, but the specific things they were pessimistic about were not always correct. Sometimes we, we surpassed their expectations, but many times we lived down to their low expectations. And yet the country is still here. So it is kind of a paradox. It's very interesting. 
But if anything, it makes you realize that these dudes were not like magical, mystic wizards who had the exact perfect union in their head. None of them liked the way it even came out. So, like, why do we keep pretending that they knew what they're doing? was fun thank you for listening that was a good time a little longer than usual i'm feeling very chatty good mood i'm gonna go i gotta go uh wipe the easy off out of the oven talk to you guys in two weeks enjoy your spring hope you get your vaccines stay safe out there hopefully we don't have to do this too much longer and i'll talk to you guys in two weeks drop a line say hi bye